This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This episode contains language and content of an explicit nature. Listener discretion is advised. Before a song is released, a record is produced, or a chorus is written, the musicians that write them think a lot. They live a lot, and they feel a lot. Before the chorus dives into the stories and experiences that shape these artists, and ultimately, the music we hear. I'm your host, Sophia Lepercaro, and this episode's guest is Another Sky. Another Sky are a London-based four-piece, comprised of Katrin Vincent, Jack Gilbert, Naomi Ledoon, and Max Duhan. Their songs manage to be anthemic and urgent, tender and vulnerable at the same time. Which makes sense. They see the ways in which mental health and the state of the world are interwoven, often leaving our generation in a state of overwhelm. I Slept on the Floor, the band's debut album, covers the many ills of the modern world, offering a sense of hope through each call to action. Katrin joins me now to discuss. I've been really excited about this podcast. As soon as you put it out, I was like, oh God, I want to ask to be on it, but also, is that awkward? And then no. we literally texted each other at exactly the same time to say, hey, uh, do you want to do this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I knew from the second that you guys hinted that you were finally going to release your album, I was like, they're going to be on the podcast. I I was going to like force you to be on it regardless, which I can do, um, whoever is listening to this, because Katrin is one of my closest friends. So don't worry. We know each other. It's all good. No forcing required. No, this is so this is why like this is a, an episode that's very special to special to me because I've been watching Katrin and the rest of the band just go through all the ups and downs that came before this album. So this has been a long time coming and I cannot just like even begin to say how proud and happy I am. Oh, Sophia, thank you so much. Oh, I'm going to cry. I won't cry. Not yet. There's so many things that we have to discuss. Cry, cry at a different time. Um. All right. So where, where shall we start? So this album is called... I slept on the floor and you're not the only person that used to sleep on the floor. When I was a kid, I like really loved lying down on hardwood floors. I don't know why. I just really did. Really? Was it to do with like anxiety or anything or was it just, it just felt nice and safe? It was weirdly comfortable, like the rock solid wooden floor. I don't know why. It weirdly has nothing to do with my anxiety at all. Yeah, it is like, there's something comforting about being a kid and being close to the ground. It's kind of like you can't fall any lower than that. So, you know, if you're there, you're good. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk more about the floor later because 
just because of the way that this album flows and the way that each song sort of leads into the next, I really want to go about them in order. It's not something I always do on this podcast, but for the, for this album, I really feel like we should. Um, so we will we will get to the title track a little bit later. Um, before we talk about that, though, I want to talk about the album as a whole. So one of the overarching themes of the album seems to be that, like, no matter where you run in life, your own bullshit kind of just catches up to you, and taking care of your own mental health and your own sort of things really has to come from yourself. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a really good way of putting it, actually, that, um, I guess for me, I'm trying to say through the lyrics, you can't escape how you think you can escape so we find escape in um becoming someone you know when we're younger we feel like uh, we need to be someone and that is a false escape to me and then other ways of escaping creating a set creating a false identity online like there's just so many ways we think we can escape what happens to us in our childhood but actually again it sounds really wanky not sure if i'm allowed to swear on this podcast but you're allowed to swear on this podcast (laughs) (laughs) it sounds really wanky but i guess um the album is kind of a realization of wider society and that comes with growing up as well and this realization that unless you tackle everything in a holistic kind of um communal way you can't escape because you there is no way to escape I think that's what I'm trying to say lyrically yeah no I'd see that and another thing that I had written down was that even though a lot of these songs are you know super anthemic in a lot of ways like when you think of Avalanche that has this sort of big like call to action end on it they're still extremely personal as well so you sort of hit on this idea of we can't escape and we need to face things from a lot of different angles yeah yeah totally yeah also you just take a very personal approach i think to everything i mean knowing you as a person you're someone who cares very deeply and is very deeply feeling about the world around you um so even again listening to a song like avalanche which deals with the like the the greater world and not just kind of your own stuff there's something very like, it feels like you're very attached to whatever you're talking about. Yeah, and I think when we first started as a band, I'd always say, um, yes, uh, no songs are about me. All the lyrics are about looking out and looking down at things from a bird point of view. And then finally, someone said to me, so what actually is the album about? And I didn't have an answer. And when I looked at the lyrics, I realized I'd kind of been hiding behind flowery metaphors. And I actually find that quite common, especially in women's lyrics, that we use nature very metaphorically and we're we're often afraid to say what we really think. So in the album's lyrics, there are these kind of flowery metaphorical moments. But then by the end of writing the album, I'd really tried to crowbar in some more blunt lyrics. Yeah, I'd say that. It's funny you say that because I had written down a lot of references to nature being part of this album. You know, you have riverbed, you have tree, you have avalanche that are all sort of natural occurring phenomena. But then more recently, you came out with Fell in Love with the City, 
which is a lot more forward-facing, you know, like, you know exactly what you're talking about on that song. Yeah, yeah. It's funny that, um, it's funny the chronological order of all the songs, because they, some of them were written six years ago, some of them were written, like, just as we finished the album, so it's funny to hear that, actually. Fell in Love was one of the first songs we ever wrote. Really? Yeah, yeah, and I find it quite naive. It's quite a naive point in the album because I think what I'm trying to say lyrically is I've moved to the city and it's going to be amazing and I'm going to be amazing. And then um, I think that song, that song comes really early on in the album too. I think it's track two. It is track Um, two, yeah. And by the end of the album, I'm sort of saying, oh God, this is not what I thought was going to happen in life and in this city. So yeah, and it is... I did change um, the lyrics when we wrote the song, when we went in with Jolian, the executive producer, because from the early demo of the song, there were actually parts in Latin, which is really funny because I don't speak Latin. Oh my Um, God. (laughs) Of course you did that. Of course. Yeah. Of course. So the second verse was in Latin. And I remember going into the studio and saying, um, oh, Jolian, I reckon I should just keep it in Latin. And he was like, no. So uh, that was by the point that my lyrics had started to become more blunt and inward facing. So, um, yeah, I guess what you've said actually makes complete sense. Um, The kind of speaking about an ex-lover and how they were a room. And yeah, yeah. Although, I mean, you saying, you know, it is a more naive song, despite the fact that it's kind of an old song with some new parts to it it makes sense that it comes so early in the album because in addition to each of these songs being really great on their own now that I've heard them in the context of the album they take on a whole new meaning and kind of become part of a larger story like what I had written about fell in love with the city was that it was kind of like the bright-eyed bushy-tailed song where it's like everything is amazing and I live in London it's the best place in the world and I've made it I'm not in my little town anymore and yay everything's perfect now you know and I think a lot of us that move to big cities after escaping like small towns or the suburbs really feel that but and until the honeymoon phase dies we kind of have that feeling in us yeah it is kind of like a relationship with a city isn't it after a while um the same problems arise because you haven't solved them in yourself. So the honeymoon does end. I think that's a really weird, really um, interesting way of putting it. I actually had a post come up on Facebook today um, that I had shared about two years ago. It was like memories from my first trip to London. And I had actually written in that post, you know, as much as the honeymoon phase is long over, I I still love this this mad city. So exactly what you're talking about actually popped up today in my in my Facebook timeline. So yeah, I think I saw that. That is actually a really relatable song. Fell in love with the city because who hasn't moved somewhere new? And most people in our generation probably have lived in cities, especially to go to uni. So hopefully it does kind of that feeling does resonate with people yeah I think it really will and so before we move on from I guess this beginning little bit of the album I want to jump back one which is 
to how long and how long kind of feels like you know when you talked about this idea of like looking down it kind of feels like the narrator of the album coming in and being like strap in like we're about to go through all of these horrible human phenomena that happen and all of these weird things that you know we do as people whoa I really like I really like that description of it because that was that the lyrics for that were written when I was imagining myself as a bird and um I I have a really that the lyrics for that song came from um an image heavy place we were just leaving university when that song was written and um I was imagining kind of soaring over new cross this really does sound wanky but it's it's fine it's art (laughs) it's art (laughs) I was soaring, I imagined myself soaring over Newcross and just looking into all the windows. Um, I actually had, um, I have a friend called Iris and one of her songs, she has a beautiful lyric and I'm obsessed with her lyrics, I'll always talk about them. But there's a lyric that goes, um, from the windows I saw all of my homes in my head a few years from now that I am open to. And it really encapsulates to me this idea we were all beginning to latch onto of, I don't know when we're going to be able to afford a house, but you know we're going to have we're going to live in many rooms and we're going to live many lives, and um, it was sort of the imagery of the song "How Long" is sort of flying over all all these rooms and all these lives about to change and all the people we knew at uni about to change. So yeah, I I love the idea of an omniscient narrator. I think that's I think you're describing the songs better than I can. You can use this later. You send it to the PR people and pull some quotes or something. <laughs> well, it definitely I mean, even adding that, like this idea of looking into windows, which is another thing you reference in in Fell in Love with the City, which comes right after. So it's yeah, it really how long really weaves itself in so well with the rest of the album and just knowing like a period of instability is about to happen and that's that's just what we're gonna have to roll with for for a little while totally yeah Mm. moving on now to track number three i think when i first heard or not when i first heard brave face but when i heard it in the context of the album it I thought it was kind of part of, like, a story about yourself, but you actually wrote Brave Face for a friend. I did. And I was talking to another friend the other day, um, a friend that wrote a song for me called Flower Girl back in um, 2013. And she just released it on Bandcamp, finally. Um, And we were talking about it, and I was saying, um, oh, my God, you wrote wrote it for me. You, You totally knew me then. And she said, um, yeah, it was also totally about me too. And I think that's so so interesting that when people write songs for other people, it's because they can see themselves in that other person. And in, in the case of Brave Face, I was trying to tell my friend what I was trying to tell myself. And it comes across as I'm... I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm totally the strong woman and I've been where you've been, but actually I was still really timid. And in my head, I was telling my telling myself that I was writing it for her, but I was also really writing it for myself. Okay. 
Well, sonically, I think that it sort of represents a growth. I mean, you're definitely, I mean, you're a front woman of a band now, so it's not like you're entirely timid anymore. At least you found a way to overcome it. And in the song, you know, sound-wise, it starts off sounding kind of like a lullaby. Like, I mean, Jack's like little guitar riff in it is just stupidly gorgeous. Um, And then gradually it grows and gets bigger and stronger. And by the end, it's like this big anthemic song. Like, you can feel like someone started from being like almost nursed back to health and comforted and then by the end they're standing strong and they're like I got this I'm gonna be okay I love that oh can you just can you just do my interviews for me Sophia (laughs) like I really like the way you're describing all these songs because you're seeing parts of them that I haven't seen and I'm sure the band haven't even consciously done um Jack's guitar part was massively inspired by Jose Gonzalez and um and yeah I I find that his songs have a lullaby element to them as well yeah I listen to heartbeats so much like I have it in my like goodnight playlist to help me sleep because it's so just cozy and lovely yeah now that you mention Jose Gonzalez that makes a lot of sense because it is that same sort of tender quality in the song it does start like a lullaby and it it feels very delicate and actually that was reflected in the choreography of the music video that's exactly what um Liv this amazing choreographer took from the song she I think she started me off on the ground and sort of holding myself and then as the video progressed I grew outwards so yeah I think I'm glad people are hearing that in the song Mm -hmm. and I'm thinking now about Braveface's role with the next song like Braveface is very much like having to fight for yourself in a very healthy way but then you get to Riverbed which kind of feels like the how would I say this nicely the F you to where I used to live of like I'm better than this now ha 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 kind of song like it reminded me a lot of the suburbs by Arcade Fire and a lot of the sentiments that are in that album of you know feeling like the suburbs or or a small town is somewhere where things are very samey, you know, and people don't get to be very individualistic. And then, I don't know, like you saying, I am done with the riverbed. I'm done with these sort of like murky, featureless places. And I want to go and be my own thing. Yeah, I think um, when it gets to riverbed in the album, I think that's where I'd grown enough to start understanding cycles um, and the idea of water being very cyclic, cyclical. Um, Riverbed is sort of how you're, you're desperately trying to get out of this riverbed, but that anger still follows you and that anger almost becomes you. By the end, I'm singing, um, I am the river and yeah, I th- and I, I'm so obsessed with Arcade's Fire. Arcade's Fire? I can't talk, Sophia. Okay, I'm going to say You're that good. again. <laughs> um, do you know what? It's only you I'm nervous with, which is really funny. Um, it's because you're one of my closest friends. But that's the exact opposite reason to be nervous. Like, trust me, I'm always like, am I rambling? Did I start this well? Am I transitioning well? Like, you think that you're nervous? This is me in every single interview, so... 
you're really okay. Well, you do it so well. I was just about to say, like, you're really grasping these songs in a way I haven't and other interviewers haven't, which is really nice. Um, well, it's uh, what was I about to say? I'm obsessed with Arcade Fire's album. Um, I'm obsessed with that album. I remember when it came out, I was still at my in my hometown and I was about to leave. And it kind of soundtracked that, especially um, Keep the Car Running. Mm, that's from Neon Bible, but that is an amazing song as well. I love Keep the Car Running. Yeah, and and their instruments kind of have a have a suburban feel. They do. Like, even the open track has that, like, I mean, that piano bit sounds like the kind of thing you'd listen to while taking, like, a bike ride on a sunny day through the suburbs. Like, it's very serene. Yeah, and I really miss, um, that's the one thing I miss, bike rides through the countryside. The further away I get from my hometown, the more I can appreciate what I couldn't see while I was there. I'm sure that's, I'm sure everyone's like that. Everyone feels oh, absolutely. like that. Yeah, it's funny how, you know, like Riverbed is such a cynical song and yet, you know, you can find yourself realizing actually in hindsight, some of these things are really great. Like I lived in the suburb that the suburbs is about. So I understand the lyrics very intimately. And even though I don't think I ever want to live in the Woodlands, Texas again, like there's there's things about the quiet and the comforts of of home that that you realize when you're living in a big city in your little apartment you don't have anymore yeah completely but despite all that just because i also enjoy the cynical and snarky tone of riverbed ankle biters precise in spite of the lack of hands or eyes is like one of my favorite lines ever it's just so like like, you're all the same, but you still managed to really cut deep. Why is that? Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I think um, the lack of hands and eyes as well, kind of referencing how blind you can be when you're from these small towns, because you just don't know, and you're not taught, you're not taught about the outside world, or you're taught, ro- you're taught wrongly, as we're finding out from the Black Ma- Lives Matter movement. And um I just wanted to encapsulate that feeling of not being able to see. Yeah, or like even when you talk about like everything being so muddy in the riverbed, like all of that sort of creates that feeling of a certain certain blindness. Yeah. Yeah, or even when I, another thing that that line really made me think of was in conversations that we've had in the past about how like, you know, Obviously, being a musician is great in a lot of ways, but it can also be really turbulent. You know, you guys just lost your studio and COVID is happening. And yet I remember like you've talked about, you know, talking with people from home about your the issues that you face as a musician and then being like, oh, you're having such a great life. Like, why? Why are you complaining? You know, and that stings. It really does. And the first time anyone put it into words for me was when I went to a talk at Abbey Road Studios about um, musicians and mental health. And someone literally wrote, I think it was a psychologist who works closely with musicians, literally wrote on their PowerPoint presentation, um, part of the problem is that musicians achieve a certain level of success, and they might still not be able to live financially of it off it but 
when they talk to their friends and family who aren't in the music scene or the entertainment scene, um, the response is, oh, well, everything's going really well. How can you be upset? Because no one sees the behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And it, you, it is weird. And it's, it's, it's weird because your struggles aren't the same as other people's struggles. Right now, um, we're facing... Jack and Naomi have lost their jobs. I lost mine just as COVID hit. So right now we are facing a lot of similar struggles to other people. But before I had to be really careful because some of my friends are so talented, but it ju- the, the system means that only a few people get opportunities and chances. So it is weird to kind of be depicting the human condition through your music but then you are living an exciting life and it does come with its pitfalls you know like um oh who told me eddie temple morris who runs um my black dog a charity Mm -hmm. that i'm an ambassador for he he told me once that the most at risk for suicide are musicians who are women Mm. or you know there's especially trans and non-binary and that just as soon as he said that to me you have that feeling of oh god of course yeah and, but when you try and say to other people who don't know as much about music you know there's this real issue especially with women in music no one can grasp it no one can seem to understand it so I guess through these lyrics, if I can sort of push that more to the forefront, then I've succeeded no matter what happens. Yeah. I think this is also a good time to bring up the next song, which is The Cracks. And this is kind of the part of the album that starts to directly talk about mental health. Like, for me, The Cracks, I wrote down, said it feels like a quarter-life crisis just with a lot of electric guitar and bass and, you know... Like, it's just sort of put to music. Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of exactly what it was. Um, Jack came up with this ukulele loop. And I remember I was, I, oh my God, yeah, I was having a quarter life crisis. And I was laying on my bed, just sort of singing over the top of this ukulele loop. And then I was singing this melody. And then I looked back into the room and Jack had set up a mic while I was lying down which was a really funny moment where someone else was like I need to capture this because she's just gonna not even try (laughs) (laughs) oh he's a gem I'm so glad that he pops up in these right moments he does he's always there and that's that's kind of his role in the band as well I think he um he sort of glues it all together. He's always checking in on every one of us and um, he's always listening. So he is our secret weapon, as I keep saying, and I hope Aww. he's okay with me saying that. <laughs> well, he better be okay with you saying that because he deserves the recognition. I mean, I've only met Jack like a handful of times, but every time I've spoken to him, I can definitely sense that he's a, a caring, good person. So. I'm glad that he's there to pick up on moments where either he needs to do something for you because you're having a moment 
not to say like that you are not a very capable strong person and you do a lot of things yourself but like I just love that he was able to pick up on you know she has a great idea but she might be doubting herself in this moment so let me just let me just make sure that we have this on file somewhere yeah bless him that's always that's always been the way now I think about it and um we we're the whole band is such a team it just wouldn't have happened if it was only one of us and we've really had to pick each other up over the years and make it a real group effort so I'm glad that it's actually worked and I think as well um when you sort of don't come from a huge amount of wealth bands are just amazing because there's so many ideas floating around and you can bounce off each other so I think um that's been really good for us as a band absolutely and I mean like as much as we are talking about you know your lyrics and the stories in this album a lot there's just so much credit that needs to go to Jack and Naomi and Max, especially like the cracks, I think is such a great example because there's so many almost like call and response moments in the music. Like Naomi's bass riff on the cracks is like just one of like the gems in your music that I'm always like excited for, especially when I listen to that song. When we don't have Naomi, I always tell this story, but there, um, there was this time where we were just showing a producer one of our tracks and we had to play it live. And Naomi was stuck in traffic and this guy had to leave. So we were like, oh, let's just play it anyway. And the song fell apart. It, oh, just, no. it fell apart. And her, the way she uses her pedals as a bassist is um, especially new to me. And we always say... The song isn't another sky until Naomi's put a bass on because to me that reverb bass is our sound and we use it so much. Oh yeah. No, she's spectacular. And then of course, last but not least, we have Max. And I have to say, in the way that you guys mixed the album, you can hear his drums so well. Like he doesn't get lost in the mix and it just adds so much like impact to all of the songs. We get so many messages that reference Max and Phil Collins. Yeah. And um, as as well as that, his digitact is really important. His uh, beat programming. We started off with a Korg Volker Beats when we first started as a band, and then eventually he progressed to um, the digitact. And so many loops, especially the loops in Riverbed, um, so many loops have come out of that little machine. So... I know I said at the beginning, Jack's our secret weapon, but we're all secret weapons. It's why you guys are so amazing. It's because, like, you each know how to work with each other and make your sounds mesh, but you're so individually talented in what you do that it just comes together in such a special way. Thank you so much. Uh, Before we move on from the cracks, one last thing that I want to add is... You know, despite the fact that it is a song that's a little bit pessimistic and is sort of like ranting about about having a quarter life crisis in a sense, there's the the line "the cracks let the light in." Like, there's that little nod to Leonard Cohen about you know how even when things are broken, that's where the light gets in. So I guess I'm wondering why did you put those two things together in the same song rather than having like two separate tracks? So I think. Um... I read an interview, and it's the only interview where he talks about what his actual lyric 
um, which isn't the cracks let the light in. That's paraphrasing his actual lyric. In fact, yes, it is. Do you know his lyric? I'm going to quickly. There's a, I think it's, there's a break in everything. That's how the light gets in. Oh yeah. There's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. That's it. Um, crack in everything. This, this interview where he still talks um, pretty vaguely about what it's about, but he references religion and sinning. And um, in my case, I've kind of repurposed the idea. And what I'm trying to say is um, the song documents this moment in my life and perhaps the whole band's life um, where I realised that our flaws could be used to our advantage. And actually, when you have these breaks or these breaks of anxiety and these breaks of um, deeper, darker feelings, it's trying to show you something. Light is actually trying to shine on what you're going through. And it's it's something it's something horrible, but it's something you can learn on. Uh, learn on? It's horrible, but it's something you can learn from. And um, in a wider view, I think The Cracks is one of the songs that represents this wider bird's eye view. Um, I guess what it's trying to say is we are the generation that are kind of cracking open these subjects and really going deep into them, um, despite a lot of fear around them and despite growing up with a lot of shame around them. But we are the generation that will just tweet a rant about it and we'll, we'll talk to each other about it and um, nothing feels taboo anymore. I think um, as long as you shine the light through the cracks onto things, you can see... As long as you can see things, you can solve them. Yeah, and you saying that just for me, it gives the the cracks' position in the album a whole new meaning because things do get pretty dark after the cracks for a few songs, and it almost feels like it's saying, you know, we're gonna have to deal with some shit and brace yourself, but we're gonna get through it. Hold on tight because this period of pain is going to be really important for our growth and for making things better for ourselves. Yeah, definitely. It definitely takes a downturn, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, in an effective way, don't get me wrong, but it, it goes a little dark for a bit. Yeah, and we did plan that, actually. Um, we have this amazing manager, Theo, and um, he loves coming up with track listings and he listened to the album on repeat and sent over where he heard the songs and the one thing he said was um this arrangement feels like a story that feels like movement and it feels like the story you're trying to tell and I think placing those darker songs towards the end was really tactical and it was to kind of yeah there's there's no absolute resolution I think in doing that no, but there's hope towards one coming. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I it's I'm like okay, well credits to Theo for that because hearing all these songs in this order, I almost thought it was a concept album. Like I know you've written these songs at different times, but they just sound like they're communicating with each other so much in that order that again, it just gave a whole new life to each song for me. I'm so glad because they were not written in order. Um, I'm obsessed with concept albums, but there was just just the way we were operating, um, 
these very disjointed lives of wanting to do music full time but not being able to there was just no way we could kind of do it all in one place or write as a concept so I'm really glad that to you it sounds like a concept album that yeah. means we've we've succeeded in our deception <laughs> you did congratulations you accidentally made a concept album <laughs> that's amazing here you go well since we're getting into the the darker period let's let's dive on in um i slept on the floor is obviously a very very good interlude moment to dip into that because it's it's essentially just being paralyzed by anxiety specifically hypochondria and being like i'm just staying on the floor i don't want to move yeah and um that was the last song written for the album and it was written about these very specific events in my life it's written about all sorts of events one genuinely being um sleeping on the floor to get away from someone and that I don't know how I'm going to talk about that. Um, I didn't think about that when we named the album I Slept on the Floor. I didn't think I'd, I'd, you know, I'd be asked about that, but I'm trying to word it in a way that I, that's the part of the story I still get to keep. For me, that song, it came as an interlude for a gig at Village Underground. We needed an interlude and um, it just sort of came out and I felt like, why am I writing something I've moved on from but I feel like that fits in with the album because I haven't moved on from it because maybe we never move on from what happened to us when we were younger but instead it turns into something we use to change things for the better for the people coming after us. I think so I mean I, I can't speak to that experience, but I know like with mental health, for example, as much as there's days where I'm like, why do I have depression? Why do I have anxiety? I think that I'm a much more perceptive and compassionate person because of them. And they've, you know, as much as they've caused me pain, they've added something to my life as well. And so, yes, they become part of the fabric of who we are, but they don't have to have a hold over us anymore. No, we'll never forget it. We'll never forget them. But, oh, that that's actually something I saw on Twitter from a famous Twitter person. It, she said, ascension is never a straight line. Um, it happens in circles. You come back to what you've gone through, but with a better understanding and um, I actually used that as inspiration for another song that didn't end up on the album called I Don't Hate You. Mm. Um, and I love that idea because for ages I was just like, I'm never going to get over anything because I can't forget it. But actually, that's not the point, I think. No. It's not about getting over things. It's about finding peace with them and, you know, not letting them overwhelmingly hurt you anymore and and almost using them to your advantage yeah I think so as well yeah well going from here of course we sort of lead into life was coming in through the blinds which also has that sort of that paralyzed feeling of you know just literally watching life happen in front of you um and there's also a line in it that really jumped out at me which was borrowing everyone's laughter because I remember when I was in college 
and I was starting to go through, I guess, like, a milder round of depression, I used to just not be able to laugh naturally, and so I'd find myself, like, forcing myself to laugh just to feel kind of normal, and there was something in that line that, again, really spoke to that experience. Yeah, I think um, it's actually way more common than we realize, because I've been through exactly the same thing, and I always thought, I'm the only person doing this, and it's that feeling of not even being in a room, I guess, that feeling of dissociating, and I slept on the floor and life was coming in through the blinds, those those songs come as a pair, um, I slept on the floor was written to go into life was coming in, in through the blinds, and um, life was coming in through the blinds is one of my favorite songs of ours and I I think you actually said that once it's one of your favorites it is capable of love is still my favorite favorite but life was coming in through the blinds is like an extremely close second but yeah and they kind of sound similar they're kind of these loop based tracks that explore a different world to a a typical band setting Mm -hmm. and um yeah I think those songs come as a pair and in life was coming in through the blinds there is sort of this resolution I remember um that title is actually something Jack said said to me Jack's one of my flatmates for context I've I've spoken about him a lot in this um he said that to me and he always does this he says something and he doesn't think anything of it but it's the most poetic and lyrical thing ever And I just thought that was such a perfect image. I think when you're kind of crippled by depression and you're in your room and you have that feeling of everyone else is living but me. And and then you go on to discover that so many people are going through the exact same thing. And then you start to think, well, actually, maybe this is a bigger problem than any individual one of us. And I think that's kind of what the album's trying to do or what I've tried to do lyrically is say, you know, this isn't an individual problem. Yeah. And that actually leads, again, really well into where the album goes next because it starts to become less of a a paralyzed feeling, but rather, you know, a call to action and an anger. So it's nice that there's also that question in life is coming through the blinds of like, you know, I'm not alone in this, so maybe we need to band together and, you know, do something about this as well as a lot of other things in the world. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Which brings me on to Tree. And this is, again, it's that moment where you're like, hang on, I, like, screw this. There's, you know, these powers that be that treat women like myself like shit. And there's powers that be that are destroying the planet and... It's, you know, it's another song that also builds, you know, it starts quite delicate, but by the end it becomes sort of like big and angry and like, no, we need to do something about, about these things. Yeah, for sure. Um, There's uh, this version I was listening to of it the other day with the LCV choir and it just feels, it feels less current than the other songs but more timeless um it's always the one that gets everyone live tree and um i remember when we wrote it i was i was in a a super angry headspace (laughs) that one that song as well kind of comes as a pair with avalanche i Um, could feel that 
Yeah, yeah, the songs come in pairs, I think. Yeah, I mean, because, like, whereas Tree is, you know, starting to hint at things and being like, okay, you know, I'm angry about these things, Avalanche is the one that's, like, just raging, angry, and is a lot more straight to the point. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I think that one's one of my favorites. It's directly inspired by Tracy Chapman, I think. Um, Avalanche is one of the songs that I wrote. There's, um, um, it's annoying sometimes because people always think the lead singer is a songwriter, but actually we write so collaboratively and um, all these songs come from s- samples or loops or guitar riffs that one of us has brought to the table. Um, but Avalanche was the one song where I was like, I'm going to try and be like Tracy Chapman and I'm going to try and write like her. Um, and I just want something super angry and blunt and honest to come out because um, Avalanche documents a time in my life where I was I was living in conditions I can't even talk about. I want to talk about them, but I can't. Um, and it was the first time I had been dropped into the world with kind of no safety net and I was seeing firsthand what people had to have to go through and that song just really comes from that place yeah yeah no that's that one's that one's angry and there's a line in it that has just taken on like a whole new I guess potency in today's day and age which is let the blues through they'll restore order like with everything going on right now with the Black Lives Matter protests, specifically in Portland, where, you know, you have like unmarked police cars, like arresting people that just it it hits a little bit harder right now. Yeah. And I mean, that line was written about police br- brutality back in 2017. That was when I'd first started. I'd always had this fear of the police, but as a white person, you know, I hadn't experienced it firsthand. Um and I, but I'd always had this weird fear around. I don't like the idea of people's freedom being taken away. And it was the first time I was seeing firsthand people getting mistreated by the police in England. And then um, I was really paralleling it with what was happening in America. And I'd just seen this video on Reddit of a nurse that was arrested for refusing to let a police officer take blood. Um, oh, the- I saw that one. Yeah, that was the direct reference. And there's a line in it that says um, a nurse was thrown into their van. And um, it was just, it was tying together. It was when I'd realised that all oppression is linked. And I'd kind of realised that my experiences as a woman woman were linked to these, to this world where, you know, we have police states and we have police brutality. Because as much as people say, um, oh, you know, it's way worse in America. It's still pretty bad here. Um, we just don't have guns. And I think that around that time with that song, I was starting to realise that just because I grew up in wealth and just because I grew up white and a polite and I've been raised to be polite, that wasn't going to protect me. And I needed to fight to kind of protect other people. Yeah. And what you said about things being interlinked, that that also really hits for me because, I mean, first of all, both Tree and Avalanche don't just focus on one issue. They focus on several at the same time. 
And for me, it sort of represents this this overwhelm that our generation is facing. You know, we're dealing with the climate crisis, Me Too, Black Lives Matter, mental health, um, rising rent, all these things kind of at the same time. And it almost feels like they're all being clobbered onto us. Yeah, yeah. It's, and I think what I'm starting to really grapple with, especially after this recent resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement, is that because of my privilege, I haven't had to think about it when actually this has been people's lives for the longest time. And there's so many atrocities that just don't get attention because it's almost everything. Everything's wrong. And there's no way to organise all of us to confront these issues. But I guess now more than ever we need to find a way and people have been doing the work for years i've just read angela davis's freedom is a constant struggle and it's opening my eyes to how much work people are putting into this and i just want to join them yeah and i think let us be broken hits that on the head really well because it's sort of it's a song of both like accepting like let us be broken like let's not pretend that everything is okay there's some big big problems but let's you know like it says let's name the cage you know let's let's identify the problem and you know put a garden in its place you know make something better in its place it's it's accepting that there's a fight coming and we need to you know we need to face it yeah i always got told growing up by various people that um, just have a nice life, you know, just don't, you don't need to worry. It will just consume you and, you know, you'll end up in a bad place. Just have a nice life. You can. So why not have it? And actually, as long as we have that attitude of, oh, I'll just switch off and um, I won't pay attention to these things, they'll carry on and they'll get us eventually. There's that poem that everyone always quotes. Um, then they came for me. Is that mm. what it's called? I don't know that one, but even just that title is, wow. Yeah, First They Came is a poem that's been quoted a lot, especially in recent years in England. It was originally written for um, the Second World War. And a lot of people, when when that poem kept being shared, especially on the internet, um, after 2010, when the Tories got back in, a lot of people were like, don't trivialise the Holocaust, don't... Um, you know, it's it's not related. But actually, food banks exist again and are being heavily used again. And um, people are dying. People are dying in the UK again. And that is not acceptable. And with this poem, I just think it really encapsulates that idea of because they're not coming for me, I'll just leave it. But actually, you know, eventually they will come for you. That's kind of how it works. We're all we are all in it together and as long as we're not looking out for people eventually there'll be someone that won't look out for us yeah absolutely and now i guess going on to even the next song all ends it's sort of i guess it's sort of asked the what comes after this question it definitely touches mostly on the climate crisis but i'm sure there's parts of it that you can apply to anything it's this you know if we don't do something about this now what's left what are we leaving behind are we going to even be able to leave anything behind at all? Yeah, and I'm I'm happy to see that 
um, this kind of conversation, especially in music, isn't novelty anymore. When when I first wrote the lyrics to that piece of music that we we jammed and come up with, a lot of it just what it just felt weird to write about it. No one was really writing about it at that point, and climate change just felt like this intangible thing that people couldn't grasp the science of, and people just felt like they couldn't talk about and you know things are rapidly changing and we're able to put it into words now but it was just this it was this time in my life and um that song almost pairs with fell in love with the city in that I'd moved to London and I was like I'm gonna be this person I'm gonna prove everyone wrong and you know I'm gonna make it and I'm gonna make music happen and then it was all ends is this sudden realization that life is even bigger than that. Life is sort of life. Um, it has to be for the people around you. And I think there's a lot of people growing up in situations where they have no one because they are ostracized from an early age for whatever reason. And we have created this individualistic society that we need to now be because it's just not you know things can't change unless we all name it going back to let us be broken um you hit the nail on the head with um let us name the cage it's almost like if we can't name or label exactly what's going on we can't confront it and i know there was a huge backlash against um so-called identity politics and I always said, you're not used to different identities and identity politics because it's always been one identity, the white male. And I, d I think we need to, we do have to label things and labels don't feel good. You don't want to be boxed into something, but I've always found power in labels, um, diagnoses and things. I've found power in it because then I know what it is and I can treat it. Absolutely. And that makes me think of another sort of concept, which is like the concept of having control over these things as well. Like I remember back in December, remember I called you from Montreal and we had like that long conversation about the climate crisis? Yeah, yeah. 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 I remember like the way that I was feeling in that moment very much matches, you know, the sentiment of all ends. It's sort of this like deep melancholy and fear for the future um but what i found at least for myself really empowering from that conversation and actually no it was something i think that you, it was a point that you made which was you know we can't fix everything we can't save everything but the things that we have control over we can do and like that gives us both you know a sense of purpose and a sense of peace like in my corner of the world i can speak out and i can you know do things within my own space to make the world better completely and I grew up it's so funny you've just said that because I've just been going through my um dictaphone files and naming them and I found one at Christmas where I sat down with my dad and I said okay dad I want to interview on you on this because from an early age the only person who ever spoke about global warming was my dad who um used to be a scientist and studied science at university and kind of has always been 
fascinated and felt doomed by global warming. And he's always tried to do his best. Um, he bought he bought, bought into the government's solar panel scheme. Um, and now all his energy is entirely run on solar panels. So he's he's constantly tried to make the world a better place through his means. Um, obviously, we all exist in capitalism and he's had to have a full-time job and we we do have these big carbon footprints me and him have that in common he's um he's traveled the world and has this huge carbon footprint and then uh, and then recently we've been traveling to america and uh, traveling to gig and that's something the music industry is latching onto i think in recent years i think aurora's just pledged to not kind of travel as much anymore and greta thunberg's mum was an opera singer and said okay i won't travel anymore um and you're totally right. It's it's the small things we can do. And I'm definitely, I'm not even close to perfect. I, I grew up with my dad telling me about this and telling me about something my friends didn't know. And even I couldn't grasp it. Like, I, I think it has to be a collective mainstream movement for people to be able to grasp it. And luckily, I think that is what's happening now. And mm. it's probably too late, but it's better if we all try and just do our best um it's really difficult I remember that conversation with you so clearly and everything you were saying was basically the same as the breakdown I'd gone through when we were writing All Ends so I'm really hopeful that this is something a lot of us are gonna realize and grasp I think we are and I mean one thing I've really liked as well is seeing this sort of dialogue around imperfect activism coming up because I I mean I obviously fully agree that we really need to fight for the world around us in every sense of that word or that every sense of that phrase but we also need to be kind to ourselves in the process because we can't let the fear of all of it consume us like as much as you know we need to fight we also do need to have you know moments of joy because that's what we're fighting for at the end of the day is our our livelihoods and our happiness for everyone. Definitely. That's a really recent revelation in my life. Um, I I was living in a doomsday world for so long and the impact that had on my mental health was really bad. And I wasn't, I don't fully blame myself because I wasn't given the tools. We aren't given the tools. I was We're talking not. To, I was talking to Naomi recently and we were joking about how at school you're like, you're like, um, okay, teach me algebra, but also teach me how to deal with the clusterfuck that is the world, please. Um, And I hope that's changing in schools now. I think people are far more aware of mental health. And I guess that's the one takeaway I want from the album for people is that we do treat mental health in this individualistic way, but actually it's directly influenced by our environment. And that's not to take away from um, self-care because that is so important. And I guess, I guess it's up to us to fight to take care of our mental health so that we can take care of everything else. Um, I guess that's the best catalyst for taking care of yourself to be able to fight these things I think that's so important 
I think it's kind of a loop. Like, we're fighting for ourselves and each other by fighting for a better world. So it goes back into our own well-being and self-care. And also, we need to fight to keep our, our mental health strong so that we can fight. You know, it's, again, it's very cyclical. And also, you know, the the fears and the need for action and the moments of joy and our individual lives can coexist. I think there's this sort of misconception that it's either don't worry or be happy or it's the end of the fucking world and we need to be fighting every second of every single day. And it's really both at the same time. Exactly. It's like the chicken and the egg. Like, yeah. <laughs> you can't separate it. And a friend of mine, um, she's an amazing writer, Naomi Morris, recently kind of educated me on that via Instagram. She put up some really important posts that were just saying you know we can't run from this in the name of self-care actually self-care is part of fighting for a better world and I found that that was something I had to learn and that was something new to me and I found that a really interesting way of putting it that you can't have one without the other they come hand in hand they really do well on that note I want to talk about the final song which is only rain it's the one that I think I had the hardest time decrypting. Like, it definitely feels like a great end note for this album, but I think I'm going to need you to walk me through it a little bit more. I will. Okay. Um, <laughs> that is exactly what I'll do. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, funnily enough, what you've just said is exactly the meaning of this song. I think I was... Um, I was once again, like in how long it was this image of a field that I couldn't water, that I couldn't keep going. And that field was myself. Um, it's kind of, it is this, only rain is the realization I'd been living in this doomsday world. And well, actually, what had, what had I been doing to not live in that doomsday world? I think you can point fingers and you can point at things being terrible but unless you're making it an active part of your daily life that isn't helpful it's helpful to recognize problems but unless you can actually do something about them and unless you can find that energy it isn't helpful to just be cynical about the world and I've been being so cynical and you know rightly so these are all all the issues in this album need to come to the forefront but only rain is sort of looking at this field and looking at this shame I had lived with and realizing that I just didn't have an identity and I guess that does sound really cliche and really wanky but <clears throat> Phoebe Bridges recently said um, we are everything all the time I love that because that's exactly how I feel, I don't feel necessarily a lack of identity, but I feel like the more I learn, the less I know. And But that's a beautiful feeling. Who wants to know exactly who they are? Who, who never wants to change? We, only Rain is kind of this opening up to a new world. And um, I remember... I had a colleague at work and I can't remember her name. I need to find out her name because I love this story. She was telling me about the cloud bursts her dad experienced in India. So um, her family's from India and she was telling me about these cloud bursts where literally it's not 
just rain. It's like this burst of water that hurts you if you are in a cloudburst. It's like a flash flood. Oh, my um, God. Yeah, I didn't know. And obviously, England has the mildest weather ever. We don't get tornadoes. We don't get hurricanes. We don't get anything. I so used to call it, like, non-committal weather. Yeah, and it changed. Oh, God, it must have been weird for you coming over and experiencing oh, yeah. UK weather. But when she said about this cloudburst, I found that the most beautiful imagery ever, this, this sort of sense of total destruction and rebirth, and it's like, I don't know if I've experienced my cloudburst yet, but only rain is just the feeling of lying in this field that you haven't watered, that you can't water, and there's been no rain, and you're just waiting. You're just looking up at the sky, and you're just waiting for something to happen. And it's, I don't know if it's hopeful or, or not. The last two lyrics, I am know where I go, I am no one I know, are directly influenced by a Boy Genius track. I believe it's called Catch Em ID. And they're talking about not knowing themselves because they're so often on tour. And I just found that, yeah, that, that directly influenced I am know where I go, I am no one I know. I think it is oddly hopeful. I, I'm leaning towards it that way because, again, it just fits into that whole narrative of you know, confronting everything in the world, but knowing that we can be okay if we fight it. Like, it sort of feels like we're in this very, like, unstable time where we're asking all these questions, but it's going to lead to something really good. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad it's hopeful. I'm glad you took that from the song. I do. I take it from the whole album. Like, despite the fact that it goes pretty dark in the second half of it, I just, I take it as just, you know, ripping off the curtain or the band-aid or whichever metaphor you want to use. And, you know, like, pain in order to learn from it is something that we have to lean into and get to know it and understand it. And so this is just an album that's saying that's what we're doing and that's what we want to do. And therefore something good will come out of this thank you so much that's such a nice um description of it i slept on the floor is out august 7th everywhere that you normally get your music this podcast is hosted produced and edited by myself sophia lopercaro and the artwork is by meg welford It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. Hey, podcast listener, do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in bigger than ever for season nine. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available 
Subscribe today.